Feel overwhelmed when you read research papers? Think research is being conducted in labs far, far away? Well, tune into the Alma Mac Thursdays from 12 to 12.30 p.m. where we interview McMaster graduate students about their research. You learn about important research that's happening right on campus. Learn about what the guests did before research, how they got involved in academia, and what kind of impact their research can have on you. The Alamac is covering it all from Thursday 12 to 12.30 p.m. on 93.3 CFMU, redefining radio in your community. Hello, and we are live. This is the Almamac. I'm your host, Adam, and... <laughs> we have our other host here today too, Sean. Hey, Hello. it's Sean. How's it going? How's your week going? Yo, uh, my week was very stressful, extremely stressful, because working with living things like cells, just it's a lot. <laughs> that really does seem like a nightmare. Um, yeah. We yeah. hung out on Monday a little bit in a classroom, mm. and uh, it sounded like your Monday was the worst day oh my God. of all time. Wow. <laughs> I survived it, though. <laughs> yeah, you're here. I'm, I'm here. I'm very happy. Yeah. Actually, when you were coming in, you were like a minute or two later than you usually come in, and I was nervous. I thought maybe you didn't survive. Oh, like, yeah. Well, no. I am here. <laughs> <laughs> you're here. All right. So this is going to be um, one of our special two-host editions. Um, we've been up to some cool stuff. We're in the middle of preparing for some cool stuff. So we're going to kind of just chat about this yeah. really cool stuff. Cool stuff is happening. <laughs> Talking about cool stuff. Did, like, I hurt my hand this morning shoveling because oh, of all the snow that fell last night. But I don't know. It was a different type of snow that stuck to the sidewalk more mm. than it usually. I don't know. I was just very annoyed. I broke the shovel also, shoveling. Hell yeah. Yeah, so that was my cool thing. Yeah. Get it? Cool. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to I was gonna ask you, what's better, too hot or too cold? Is, is this mm. weather better, or would you rather... Mm. Hard questions. Important topics. To Honestly, I, I prefer cold, because you can layer as much as you can to get warm. With hot, with the heat, you can't rip your skin off. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Because <laughs> you would get sick or or you can't walk around naked because you would be flagged for nudity yeah. and being inappropriate. So, yeah, the heat is not, it's not that manageable. Mm -hmm. I agree. You can always layer up. And in particular, I'm very cozy today. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I'm fine. Yeah. My sweater. Okay, yeah. let's cut to the business. <laughs> so you wrote a really cool article. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, like, tell us more about why you love rubber bands so much. Oh, boy. <laughs> Don't even. Um, so the article was for this um, blog called Soft Bites. So it's mm. a part of a family of other blogs, um, the Bites blogs. Mm. And the idea behind these blog posts is um, take people who are researching certain areas, like in my case, soft matter. Or there's astronomy bites, there's onco bites, Ooh. things like that. Um, take researchers who are actively doing stuff. They'll find a paper that's interesting to them, and they'll try to write a, a 800 to 1,000 word article for basically anybody to read. That's really hard. It is, yeah. <laughs> How long did it take you to do that? Uh, let's see. I was actually recording my hours this time just for my own personal interest. I think it was, with edits and stuff, 10 hours, which was not as long as some other things that I've done. Yeah. And the reason was this 
article was very close to the research that I do personally. Mm. Um, I don't always try to do that with the Softbite stuff. I've, I have two other articles with them that are completely out of left field kind of stuff. Yeah. Just for fun. Yeah. But this is very similar to... I justified it as I'm going to have to write a thesis that involves this stuff anyway. True. I'm going to have to cite this paper anyway, so I might as well get started. And understand it, because yeah. you have to really understand the uh, like uh, the concepts and the science behind um, these types of publications to be able to write about them concisely. Mm-hmm. And the really hard part for me, I think, was um, making it seem interesting to other people. Mm -hmm. So when I actually do my research on rubber bands and elastic bands and things, I'm just in the lab with these like dead materials. They're they're just rubbery little guys that I mess around with and there's no obvious application. I just sort of, actually it's like this little cable here. I have uh, a rubber band. Oh yeah. Lately I've been using these guys though, which is not exactly what the article is about, but uh, the coily guys is mm. uh, what I'm, I've been thinking about a lot. Um, but yeah, they're just these inert objects that I play with. And uh, this article, I crafted a story more along the lines of what it's like and what it helps us understand, Yeah, uh, which is something I would never end up experimenting on. And mm. it's actually DNA, which might be surprising. My elastic bands are hopefully going to help people understand DNA. That's cool. So I saw in your article you referenced how um, misfolding of DNA could affect various diseases, like al- like Alzheimer's, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, like, okay, so you had this one article, right, um, that touched on so many different things with so many various applications, a lot of theoretical um, bits, I'm sure. But you also had to have some kind of broad knowledge about other fields, I'm guessing, because you had to talk about DNA the relevance for DNA and misfolding of DNA and proteins for various diseases. Like how, like all of that went into the 10 hour slot. Yeah. So I I was walking a very fine line of not over, overselling my understanding of that stuff. Mm. Um, I didn't say anything beyond what you could find in like the first intro paragraph of a Wikipedia article. Mm -hmm. And I did a little bit more digging after that just to like verify that like I understood Mm. what the Wikipedia article was saying. But I can't really speak too strongly to the specifics of how misfolding mm-hmm. causes these different things. Oh, no, I wasn't asking that. Oh, I, no, no, yeah, yeah. I think you did really well. As a <laughs> biologist, I was like, oh, he's talking about biology. Oh, and I did it right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually preparing a talk on this stuff for next week as well. I'm going to be in oh, Denver. Right, conference. Um, and I start with a lot of this DNA stuff as motivation. And so I was showing my supervisor some of these slides. And he stopped me. He's like, how confident are you in this DNA stuff? reasonably. (laughs) (laughs) I will not go any deeper than this. This is Wikipedia level, and I'm happy with that. He's like, okay, because I don't know what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but it sounds good. And there's going to be experts who will know more than you, and I just want to make sure that you are confident Mm -hmm. and comfortable with the level of like. I will go no deeper. <laughs> but you know, like a pro tip when giving presentations, if they ask you a question that you don't know, you say, thank you very much for that question. Um, this is a great question. To, and then you just talk about how great the question is and say, yeah. I will look more into that for next time. You could turn it around and ask them what they think. Yeah. It's like, oh, that is an interesting point. Why do you say that? Yeah. <laughs> or just say, I don't know. Yeah, that's actually that's... the best thing to do. Say, I don't know. Good question. I don't know. But... Mm-hmm. Don't try to um, 
make stuff up. They'll know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People will know. Yeah. I was thinking of a synonym for BS. So thank you. Mm. Make stuff up. It's great. BS. Yeah. Psst. Don't BS. Okay. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, right. So the gist of the paper, sorry. Yeah. So uh, the, the motivation, which I, I start with is basically all sorts of biological materials are kind of like springs or kind of like elastic bands. Basically, you can grab these things and stretch them and they'll return to their original shape. You can twist them, and there's a lot of mechanical properties that are similar if you ignore a lot of the chemical stuff. Mm. If you just treat DNA as like a, a tube or something like that and don't talk about the adenine, guanine, whatever, just pretend those are like LIGO blocks, mm -hmm. then a lot of the things you can do with it are similar to what you do with an elastic band. So um, one thing that I was learning through going... I mean, going through Wikipedia and stuff, is that DNA looks like a helix in cartoons, but a lot of the times it's much more complicated, and it gets this, what I've been calling tertiary structure, a, additional structure on top of the helix, called like a supercoil. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess the role of these supercoils, they're kind of a, a response to twisting and untwisting segments of the DNA, which has to happen for replication, but they can also have intrinsic supercoiled bits um, in certain areas of the DNA, and that gives it some sort of specific function. Like uh, your DNA is like this big encyclopedia of all of your body's information, but you don't need to replicate all of it all the time. So depending on where the DNA is in your body, certain bits will be supercoiled, and that's just like a knot that's hard to unwind. So then replication bits can just skip over that or things can be attracted to those bits. Basically, it's like little earmarks in the encyclopedia. Wow, you explained <laughs> that really well. <laughs> Good job. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's really, like, teaching these concepts to first years, second years, even third years, or f teaching these concepts to university students is not easy, but I really love that analogy. Like oh, how thanks. you yeah. I actually stole that from uh, somebody. Uh. So I, I did a little phone interview with... Um, Dr. Hoffman. Oh, Michael Hoffman. Yeah, from nice. uh, Toronto. Yeah, Princess Margaret. Yeah, so he does machine learning yes. to understand cancer, and a lot of his machine learning is about DNA structures that form. Yeah. And so I didn't realize that there was going to be such a deep connection mm -hmm. between my stuff and his stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to him about computers, and then he started talking about these super coils, yeah. and I was like, oh boy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have some ammo for this talk. <laughs> Oh, great. Yeah, so he told me about the, the sort of bookmarking type thing. Mm -hmm. He has a colleague that likes to use that analogy all mm -hmm. the time. Uh, so I grabbed onto that, and it's great. Good. So specifically what I'm interested in and what this paper concerns, or this article, is how you get these supercoiling events mm -hmm. on a mechanical level. So ignoring the whole DNA idea now, let's just take our, our elastic band and start messing around with it. Compress it, stretch it, twist it, bend it, do all these things. What do you have to do to make a supercoil happen? Mm -hmm. So a lot of math goes into this. There's a lot of like elastic instabilities, which basically is just a competition. That's a way to describe a competition between different um, forces. Like um, stretching it will straighten it out. Bending it will cause it to want to mm -hmm. bend. bend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rotating it could cause it to want to twist around. Yeah, And all of these things, if you count for how hard it is to do these things, the energy required to do these things, 
there's interplay between all of them. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of just have to account for all of it, throw it all into a big equation, and then hope it gets simple. <laughs> Spits out something that makes sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to go about it. Um, some people do computer simulations where they don't simplify anything at all, and they just let a computer chug through mm. all the calculations, and they can get these really, really nice simulations that reproduce a lot of what you see in nature. Those are cool. Um, and they show that we understand the fundamental math and building blocks behind how these things work. But they don't always give you like a predictive power. Mm. It's a little hard to really understand what the computer is doing. You kind of just get an end result. So the computer is smarter than us. Yeah, and it just brute force pumps through all of this stuff. Great. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, and it is scary, but you can get some like you can get good results from it, and it's yeah. a very powerful process. Yeah, but it's not the only way to go about it. And mm -hmm. so, uh, the way the paper that I was writing about it kind of does both. It does some experiments, it does some computer simulations, and it does a heck of a lot of math. Mm -hmm. This group is like they do everything. Yeah, they're amazing. Great. Um, but me personally, for the project that I'm going to be talking about. I do a lot of experiments in the lab actually playing with these bands and I've tried to make a model that's as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Just cut out everything that I can and see if I can get some sort of, um, I call it a collapse of data, but basically I want, yeah, I want <laughs> an equation that ignores all the material properties um, and could be applied to DNA or elastic bands or plant tendrils or anything like that. What? Okay, so this is for your talk <laughs> next week. Yeah, it's like a natural extension of the, the paper. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay, wow. Okay, so basically you are creating a model. Mm -hmm. So that's like some kind of math, a lot of math. Yep. Right? So you're putting a lot of math into the computer to predict how different structures bend or how they would bend given different external factors? Yeah, so very specifically, I just care about the supercoiling thing, which is mm -hmm. basically the elastic band folding back over on itself. Yeah. This. <laughs> that guy right there. So okay. if I, if you uncoil your coil, your spring, eventually, and then you bring your hands together. Sorry, while holding it. Oh. Yeah, keep some, yeah. It's going to want to fold back on itself right. and create a, like a loop. And so I want to predict when things like that happen oh. as a function of twisting and stretching oh. and stuff. And um, I found that a lot of these results are purely geometry. A lot of the material properties, they matter, but they're competing against each other. And so they kind of cancel each other out to some extent. So basically, it's not... Um, it's not how the coil, hmm, no, it is how the coil is coiled together and the geometry of it and not necessarily the material. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you can have a really floppy spring or a really stiff spring, and if they're of the same size and shape and you do the same things to them, then you would expect the same behavior, basically. Yeah. You could shrink it down, you can make it bigger. Yeah. But all of this stuff is kind of relative. Yes. So the things I count are how much I've untwisted it. Like, did I unwind mm -hmm. it once, twice, three times, four times? And then how close did I bring my hands when I was holding the right. coil? And how many twists did it start with? Those are the only three things I need. 
even if it's like uh, something that's mm, a different material. Yeah. So it does the material doesn't matter that it, much. So one of the simplifications and the nice things about my experiment is that I have these perfect cylinders that are my fibers. They're circular cross section and really long and straight. And so that geometry actually simplifies things a bit. Mm -hmm. If it was a ribbon, like a yeah. rectangular cross section, yeah. then it gets more complicated. Oh, because there's more surface area, I guess. Yeah, and there's, like, if you take a ribbon and you bend it in the flat direction, yeah. it's easy. If you bend it in the other direction, it's really hard. Yeah. But for a cylinder, you can bend it in any direction and it's the same. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge simplification. Okay, but if it's any <laughs> other type of cylinder that's not that material, like, if it's a different material cylinder, mm -hmm. um, you still see that it's... Uh, like your prediction is less based on the material. Right. That wow. comes out completely. That's... I don't need to know how stiff it is at all. But it's... isn't that like counter what you would have thought? <laughs> it's surprising, but nature is awesome. And wow. A lot of times that kind of thing can, can happen if you're, if you simplify it enough in the right ways. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Cause I would think that something like, okay, metal, like ugh, that's a bad example, but metal isn't that uh, it is super malleable, so it will mm -hmm. it will not like it'll just change to whatever uh, whatever conformation or configuration you put it in. Mm -hmm. But something like rubber bands mm -hmm. or not, they will just go back to their original. Yeah, there you have to be careful. So I'm working specifically with elastic materials. Okay, and for soft matter people, that has a very specific definition, and that's something that if you deform it it will come back to its original shape. Right, okay. Without, so metal does do this for small deformations, like mm -hmm. very small ones. But like you said, it's malleable. So if you do it too much, it'll plastically deform is what we call it. Oh, wow. Which basically, it just won't come back. Yeah. So there are bits throughout my theory that require certain things. Like mm. I need it to be perfectly elastic. Um, it can't deform permanently or anything or else screws everything up. So it's a very idealized model. Right. But... It still means a lot. Yeah, it's like, a really nice starting point to yeah. like give you a, a baseline of what to expect if you're doing an experiment. Yeah, because in nature, um, most of these things are made with a bunch of sugars and amino acids. So they're like all basically the quote-unquote same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like DNA, protein, it's... They all come from basically the same building blocks, with just a few add-ons or or takeaways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully this will this will I don't know impress some people at the conference. Hopefully I didn't do something wrong. I don't know. I'm th I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> How long is your talk? <laughs> it's ten minutes. Um, and I started my slides on Saturday, and I've just finished. As of right now, first draft of slides, and I've put 40 hours into them. Mm. Um, we put a lot of time, my, my group puts a lot of time and effort into our presentations. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this is like a big week of staring at the computer for me. Yeah, yeah, I had a 10-minute presentation last week as well. I don't know how much time I put into it, but I felt like I put more time than I... Needed to? Needed to. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any, like, slides to start from? Any, like, baseline stuff? Oh, 100%. Okay. So they were all based off of other talks that I've given. 
um, yeah, it's just like tweaking things like, oh, maybe this audience might not appreciate this or this uh. audience might want this bit to be put in, which actually ties back to the lecture we gave on Monday. Yeah, here about, we go. Yeah, giving um, oral presentations. Um, so if you didn't know by now, we like to talk. <laughs> we like to communicate. Um, and yeah, so that's what we talked about on Monday. Thank you so much, Dr. Aisha Khan, who uh, invited us to give a guest lecture in the science communication course. Science communication in human behavior or behavioral sciences, I think. Yes. I believe most of them were psychology. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a psychology. Students, like a fourth year thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we gave a really cool, I think it was cool. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> we gave a, a cool presentation on how to give a presentation, but it wasn't like, hey, everyone, this is how you should give a presentation. Like, it it, it was, like, we gave examples, mm-hmm. um, which was really good. So, like, what we started off with was knowing your audience, which is what I was just talking about. Like, mm-hmm. for my presentation, I had to know, well, this is... The biology department, they have varying interests. So I can't go too deep into, like, certain niche cancer jargon. Um, I can't really go too deep into it. I should be as broad as possible and be as applicable as possible. So even with the results I showed, I, I um, ori- originally, I wasn't really thinking about knowing my audience or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, okay, I'm going to put all of these things onto these slides so people can see that I work hard or something, which is a really <laughs> bad trap that academia pushes us into thinking. But that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I did a run through, which is weird. I never really do run throughs for my talks, but I did this time Mm -hmm. and I was way over 10 minutes. So I said, okay, I need to cut a lot. And then I thought, okay, Sean, what is your main takeaway? Like, what do you want people to leave? What is your essential message? Which is something we also talked about on Monday. Like, what Mm -hmm. is the message you want people to leave, um, with at the back of their mind when they think about this talk next week? Um, so then I cut so many data slides, also with the help of my supervisor. Um, so yeah, I only ended up really showing four results slides hmm. before I had so many with <laughs> panels. Like <laughs> It was actually awful. I don't know how that happened. But yeah, that was my process. Right. Yeah, personally, like if I'm watching a presentation, I can only take in so many slides of data. And, like, it's a very small number of slides. Yeah. So, yeah, that that is an interesting trap of, like, putting too many results. You mm-hmm. really got to focus in on, on the main thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think was, like, the most applicable thing to everybody? What Did, did you, like, go for the, the biggest, buzziest result? Or did you go for something that was, like, how did you select? This is, like, a knowing your audience kind of thing. Yeah, how did I select? So... Mm, so I didn't want people to walk away with just okay, cool, like that was fine, like it was cool, yay, we know mm-hmm. this cancer thing happened. Um, so I wanted to show something new and novel that um, I laid the foundation for in my introduction, um, but not too technical. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of new novel things that I could have shown, but uh, were very technical and high level. 
So I had to find some kind of way to distill that in a not too technical way, but still technical enough so yeah. they feel like, hey, we're at a science thing. Um, and then also like big takeaway. So like a mixture of novel and buzz. Okay. Yeah. I guess if you think about the, I think the goal of both of these presentations, yours that you gave and the one I'm giving, it's probably very similar. It's probably something along the lines of like a sizzle reel of like, this is why you should be paying attention to my career. Yeah. Here's a thing that is interesting to you. Here's a, here's like one cool result and check out how great I am at presenting it. Yeah. And like keep your eye out for this guy. Yeah. Are there like award sessions for your Um not conference? for the presentations that are given. There's like oh. a it's like a yearly conference type thing. So mm. there are like medals and awards that are given out by the um American Physical Society. Mm -hmm. And so my supervisor's talking at an award session. Mm. Um, but mine isn't going to be judged or anything like that. Oh. I However, it is in a session filled with very, very high level, yeah. like the best of the best people. So Good. I will be judged. <laughs> Good. And that's how people get jobs. Yeah. Like after PhD, because some um, important person, important person, was sitting <laughs> in the audience. Um, listening to a talk or they came by and they saw a poster mm -hmm. and they were like oh wow this is cool research you would be great in my lab that's would literally how my supervisor got his first start basically in his phd a nobel laureate wow. came and saw his poster presentation yeah he was like this is interesting work and then like a couple months later he got basically phone calls like hey do you want to work on something wow yeah yeah that happened to my supervisor as well um in a sense, yeah, they like he saw her poster mm -hmm. at a conference, and yeah, they started um, talking with each other, and she interviewed, and boom, yeah, boom, postdoc. Yeah, I mean that's the most powerful way to get a, a, anywhere in life, I, I guess. Talking and communicating. <laughs> yeah, communicate science. <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, we had a great time lecturing. Yeah, and that was a cool classroom, too. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah. It was huge. I didn't expect such a huge classroom. And yeah. it was circular, and there were TV monitors along the circumference of Everywhere. the room. There must have been, like, 20 or something. Yeah, 20, 25 monitors, all showing the same. It was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I very was like, high tech. Yeah, you go, McMaster. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was cool that um, we gave that talk on Monday because on the weekend there was SciComm TO um, conference, which was really cool as well. <laughs> so there was so, well, my mind is so stimulated. Um, yeah, so that was really cool in terms. So that was Friday and Saturday in Toronto, and it was a bunch of science communicators. So journalists, scientists, um like students like mm -hmm. uh like people from pub like the um what do you call it the government <laughs> yeah i guess so po like government policy makers policy makers yes those people <laughs> like and the the whole idea was uh how best to communicate science what's happening in the world of yeah. communicating science mm -hmm. and communicating to who the public or Two policymakers from scientists. I feel like there's a lot it of was, different directions. Yeah, yeah. It was a mix of everything. Communicating. It, so that was why I refocused on finding your audience and like getting your essential message because uh, you can be communicating to so many different groups of people, and you have to change your not change your message, but you have to. 
definitely package it in yeah. a different way. Yeah, that's a great word, package. Oh, <laughs> package. I love package. Yeah. <laughs> package your message in different ways for those various audi- audiences. Um, and yeah, I found out that there's only one science communication master's program in all of North America, apparently, and that's at Sudbury um, at Laurentian University. So if you are interested in science communication, that is a great program um, from what I've heard. Yeah, so, yeah, it was a great conference. I had lots of fun, and we had fun on Monday teaching, and we should teach again. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Um, what is the date today, the 27th? Yeah, the 27th of February. Okay. Um, I really want to talk to you about SciCom TO yeah. and maybe SciCom Canada. Did you apply for that? No. Okay. I applied, but I'm on the wait list. Mm. Womp womp. Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. But um, we should definitely talk about targeting audiences, yeah. policy, public, etc. Yeah. in the future. But unfortunately, we cannot do that right now. We're, We're about to get lit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to be away next week. So I think Sean will be at the helm. We'll, we'll have something for you. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Uh, and let's get lit. <laughs>